0: How many of you ready this morning say amen? Amen. All right, we are going to jump in today with the title of the message is called Response Able Living. There's a play on the word there, Response Able Living. The word responsible is usually I-B-L-E, but I want you to see this morning that the emphasis is that we are able to respond. Everybody say, Response Able Living. Say it for me. All right, I am going to let you stay seated today because I have a little longer passage than I normally have. It's um, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. I'll read verse 1 just to get our context, and then the rest of it will appear on your screens. Just listen. You don't have to read out loud. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. Bethesda. The word Bethesda means house of mercy, sometimes translated house of grace because grace and mercy are so closely related. It says there's a pool named Bethesda having five porches, which lends another item to it being a place of grace because five in biblical numerology is the number of grace. God gave the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, Uh, I'm not going to chase that rabbit. There are hosts of fives all over Scripture, and every one of them points to the idea of God's grace. Okay. Um, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time. Everybody say a certain time. At a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, everybody say first, Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man, everybody say a certain man. The reason I'm pointing that out will be evident in a moment. There was a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And hear my tone because it's intentional. Do, do you want to be made well? He was in that same place 38 years in hopes of getting healed. And Jesus approaches him and he says, are you sure about this? Do you, do you really want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, say it with me, rise, take up your bed and walk. And what happened? And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. One thing that I want to communicate to you this morning is that the choices I made yesterday affect the person that I am Today, say that with me like you mean it. The choices I made yesterday affect the person, all the sisters. Come on, let me hear you, ladies. All the mighty warrior men of God. Come on, help me. The choices affect everybody one last time together. Come on. The choices I made yesterday affect, the I today. let's pray. Great and mighty God, thank you that as we gather in this place this morning to lift up our voices and to to declare the glory and the greatness and the goodness of our God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in this place able, ready, and willing to touch us, to transform us, to make us all that you want us to be, even as we sang in the words of that song this morning. Take the struggle that we're in, the difficulty we face, the mountain that is before us, and God, in the crushing, make new wine in our hearts. Wine to make glad the heart of man. Thank you that the joy of the Lord bubbles in us. Lord, we ask you today that you would just open hearts and eyes and ears to hear and understand and perceive. I just say it now as I do every week. I declare to you and everyone before me that I desperately need you, God. I know that apart from you, I'm nothing. But, Lord, I'm also grateful to say that because of Jesus, I'm no longer apart from you. And through him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Be in the words. Be in my thoughts. Communicate. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. You are the teacher. Lord, you are the provider. You're the guide, the guard of our hearts. Set free, O God, today. People that are bound. Heal those that are broken, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. We have talked the previous two Sundays about a couple of laws. The first Sunday was the law of little things. And we basically said what we repeatedly do determines our destiny. If you do something over and over and over again, it becomes a habit that affects your character that determines your destiny. Week two, we talked about the law of perspective. You saw a couple of images on the screen up here You had cards in your seats that preconditioned different sections of you to see that image a certain way, and we realized an important truth. What we see affects how we act, and we recognize that two people can look at the same thing and see two totally different things and both be right at the same time. It's not logical. It's psychological. And so we've learned an appreciation for listening and opening our ears to people who might have a different perspective on life than we do. They've been raised in a different culture. Maybe they have a different ethnicity or racial background. Maybe a different denominational background. Maybe no church at all, a different political ideology. And when we think that everybody has to be just like us, we draw our circles of influence and fellowship so small that we exclude a number of people that the Lord wants us to be able to rub elbows with and to be able to influence, and for them, vice versa, to be able to influence us. So this morning, as we build on what we've talked about, the law of little things, the law of perspective, being able to shift your paradigm and see things with a different light or a different way, basically, that's the concept, the Bible concept of repentance, Repentance means to change your thinking, to see things in a different light. A paradigm shift is the new birth. A paradigm shift is repentance, changing your mind. So we build on that this morning, and we move into where we're going to talk about the law of choice. Everybody say, the law of choice. Say it, come on, here, everybody. The law of choice. Why are we talking about the law of choice? Because the choices I made yesterday affect the person that I am today. I begin with my first principle that I want you to grab, and a, a considerable amount of this is coming from Stephen Covey's best-selling book. It's back on the bestseller list again from 30 years ago, uh, "The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People." All of this is intensely biblical. That is in all of these seven habits, and so this morning I bring you this concept of responsible living, the foundational habit. Of responsible living. We see that maturity. We move from a place of complete dependence. We had our newest church member born Friday, Georgia Lee Bryant. <laughs> Pastor Haley and Brennan birthed an absolute, well, Pastor Haley did, uh, birth an absolutely gorgeous baby girl. And uh, thank the Lord she looks like Haley. And not, I'm just teasing. Brennan's not here to hear it or take the ribbing. Beautiful baby girl. Georgia Lee is now in this world and uh, in the fight with the rest of us on this side of the church militant. Maturity is basically based on the, t- the degree to which we can, will, and do take personal responsibility. At this point, Georgia Lee does not yet have the ability. They've not been yet developed because she's so amazingly young, just a couple of days old. So she doesn't have the skills yet to develop to take care of her personal hygiene. All of you that have been parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, A lot of other things that she will grow and just rapidly develop new disciplines and new skills and Uh, grow in her learning of this amazing world that she's come into. And, And the more she grows, the more maturity that she develops. She is able to, and she becomes willing, and then she actually does take on personal responsibility. So we are each mature to the degree that we are able and willing and do take personal responsibility. Now, the reason that I'm emphasizing this this morning is because human nature is to not do that. Immaturity, being completely dependent upon other people to take care of our personal needs, uh, basically is a refusal of taking responsibility. Uh, There's some hilarious stories that appear on insurance claims when people have turned in their account of how they had an accident in their automobile. Just listen to a few of these. They're they're about the hundreds on the internet if you just want to Google funny insurance stories. These are actual uh, specific claim descriptions. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. He aimed to get that fly, didn't he? Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree that I do not have. I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. I was sure the old fellow would never make it to the other side of the road when I struck him. (laughs) An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and then vanished. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. (laughs) He must have missed senior English the day they talked about prepositional phrases and the right place to put them. (laughs) People will do anything to avoid taking personal responsibility. That is as old as the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam, together with his wife Eve, disobeyed the commandment of God, and God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day as they were used to having that kind of fellowship with him, you know what happened? They hid, they sewed fig leaves together in order to cover their just recently discovered nakedness. And God basically says, Adam, where are you? He says, We were hiding in the bushes because we're naked. And God said, Who told you you were naked? So the the story begins to develop. What, what happened? I told you, you can have the plethora, the multiplied millions of all of these resources here in terms of trees and fruits and vegetables and animals, and, and you're to subdue this place and dress the garden and keep it, and you can have anything that your heart desires. But the one tree in the middle, I ask you to leave it alone. That is mine. What happened? Adam looks and he points and he says, basically, He's blaming God because listen to what he says. He said, the wife that you gave me. Everybody say, the blame game. She looks and she says, that talking snake that you made, God, she's blaming God too. And the curse was pronounced on the man, on the woman, and on the talking serpent. The whole issue is, is that we are as mature as we are willing to take Personal responsibility. What is this foundational habit of responsible living? The, The idea that Dr. Covey presents here in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is the concept of being a proactive person and not a reactive person. Don't wait for a problem to arise, but plan and prepare and be able to, through experience and wisdom that is gained from education and learning from others and your own personal experiences, this amazing thing that God has wired the universe with, and that is that the, the law of sowing and reaping, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You keep sowing the same seed, you're going to keep reaping the same crop, and so you get another chance. You go back to square one, and you learn not to do that because that didn't work. And if we don't ever take personal responsibility, then those lessons are wasted. We want to become a proactive person, not a reactive one. Dr. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist, and he was a disciple of Sigmund Freud's deterministic life and worldview. He was a prisoner in the Nazi concentration camp during World War II in the middle of all of that horror, being stripped naked, losing his dignity, starving just absolutely being being ripped down to the point of just becoming a breathing human and having very little dignity as a person or an individual, stripped naked, beaten, bruised, in the middle of all of that horror, wondering whether he was going to go to the gas chamber or not. He learned a life-changing truth. The life-changing truth that Dr. V- Viktor Frankl learned was that between the stimulus that is being brought to bear in my life and the response that I give back between what you do to me and how I react to it in that response, I have freedom of choice. You can take my dignity, you can rob me of my necessary human needs, but the one thing you can't take from me is my ability to choose how I'm going to respond in that moment. Are we proactive people or are we reactive people. There is a uniqueness that we have as human beings created in the image of God. That is not what, what happens to us that determines our quality of life, but it is our response to what happens to us. And we are able to choose that response. Everybody in the room is not dealt the same hand in terms of the card game of life. But we have to take risks, and play the hand that we have. Everybody is not genetically made up the same way. Everybody doesn't have the same psychological benefits that others. Some have gifts in one area, some have gifts in another. And as much as we believe that all men and women, gender, gender free, all people are created equal in the, in the sense of every one of us deserving human dignity, there are various gifts that are present and prevalent in this room. All of us are not the same. We know that. But the one thing that we are the same in is that we all have the ability and the freedom to choose our response. We don't have to knee jerk our lives and be reactive to the things, but we can be proactive. We can be kind even to people who are unkind to us. Somebody say, Amen. Being effective, becoming successful means that we need to establish the habit of proactivity. Everybody say, be proactive. The woman that we saw on the images last week in the diagram, whether you saw young or old, what you saw determined how or what your response was going to be. The lesson here that we learned was that we can change by getting a new perspective. If I will just look at my circumstances through a different light, if I will just pray and say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see what is not evident to me at the current moment. You know, I think that so many times people feel like they're controlled by their circumstances. You ever feel that way? Say amen. In some ways, we're paddling against the stream of determinism in our society. There are three kinds of thinking regarding this. There is genetic determinism. My grandparents did this to me. There is psychic determinism. My parents did this to me, how they raised me. There is environmental determinism. My boss did this to me. And so much of the time that breeds what we call a victim mentality. Everybody say a victim mentality. This is what is gripping the heart of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Because as soon as Jesus approaches him, the man's words were were an excuse. He says, I have no man. I don't have anybody to help me get up out of my bed and get to the waters when the waters are troubled. And he's making excuses and Jesus interrupted him and he wanted to show him and teach him something critical because this is what I want you to see this morning. The power of choice separates the victor from the victim. How many of you know, in the name that we gave this church, we don't believe that Christians ought to ever be victims? We can momentarily be victimized by the cruelty or the unkindness of another person, but we have the choice in how we respond to them. We can be victorious over our circumstances because of our choices and our responses. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Give me a second here because I'm starting to cut a sweat and I'm just getting into the good part. The power of choice separates the victor from the victim. Jesus said, do you want to be well? Now think about this. This gentleman had been in this place for 38 years. I guarantee you he had been there so long that the bed he was lying in, whether it's a mat or a mattress of some kind, 2,000 years ago, technology, whatever degree that they had in terms of mattresses or mats or whatever, you know that it had the impression of the man's body in it because he had been there so long. Probably had worn out a few uh, mats in his time. The mat in that place had become his comfort zone. And, and sometimes we get so comfortable with the things that we used to hate and were determined that we we're going to get out of that we gradually slip into a place of accepting what we thought we were always going to fight and overcome. And we just sort of ease back into a place of, well, this has become comfortable. I, I, I like my neighbor that's here on the mat next to me. I'm in a good neighborhood here among these lame and invalid people. How I many you know what we're talking about? You can get comfortable with the thing that God says, I sent my son so that you could break the power of that thing in your life. You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay sick. You don't have to stay in financial difficulty. You don't have to stay in a place where your marriage is going to hell. Jesus has come to bring change to our lives. Listen to this. The spirit of determinism is the transfer of responsibility. This is just the way I am. I was born this way. This is the struggle that I have. It's just up to me to be able to do the best that I can with it. Now, you know, there's certain things that we can't change, but there's a whole lot that we can. When we get to the place that we've become comfortable and we cease to work on the things we can, then we have become victimized. And too often, the spirit of determinism causes us to think that the problem is out there or that the problem is somebody else. And when I have that thought that the problem is out there, that very thought is the problem because I've just empowered something else to control me. I've just given something else. I've, I've handed the keys of my heart and my destiny and my life over to somebody else whose words have the ability to affect the things and the steps that I'm going to take in the future. And nobody should be given that power except the Lord Jesus Christ. A fundamental Christian belief, we've lost this, we've lost this in this generation, is the belief that I am responsible, I am able to respond properly to my circumstances, my genetics, my psychological hang-ups, and my environment, I I, I, I want to demonstrate for a minute what I'm talking about because if you would just kind of think you might need to bring some lights up over here because I'm going to tell you what I think I would have done if I'd have been in that place and Lord help me if it had been 38 years. All you guests are probably wondering if we do this kind of stuff all the time. Look at him and say, yeah, we sure do. So, Five, 10, 15, 20 years have passed. And I guarantee you, if I know that the answer to my problem is in that water every time it bubbles up and stirs, I'd have been trying to scoot my mat and everything that I had with it's in me. And when somebody visited, I would go, hey, man, come over here. Help me scoot this mat closer to that water. And I'd be listening to see if the water's going to bubble you know what, it may take me a couple of years to get over there, but everything that was in within me would be all about getting up to that place. And, and yeah, I don't have anybody, but I'm going to tell you, next time I see that water, next time I see that water in trouble, you can believe, bless God, that I'm, I'm going to get down. How many of you see what I'm talking about this morning? You don't have to stay in a place of invalidation, of being invalid. You have a choice. You have a response. You can make a difference in your life. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you're acting this morning. I may have to see a chiropractor this week just because of that sermon illustration. You better get up and help me preach a little bit this morning. I'm okay right now. I'll see about it after service. (sighs) Help me, Holy Ghost. That idiot preacher at Victory rolled down the stairs. (laughs) The first step out of your problem, your first step is to break denial. Quit saying you don't have a problem. You can manage this you sneaking around manipulating your funds so your wife doesn't know about your pornography habit or so you can fix your little flavor that you like. Your husband doesn't know about it because you've got a little prescription drug problem. And you're not a drug addict because those are the kind of people that deal on the streets. You just go hit a couple of different doctors. It's too quiet in here this morning. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help the people of God. I'm trying to help the saints in the house of the Lord that whether you know it or not, have the same kind of problems as the folk living down the street for you, from you that you think you're better than they are. And the issue is you know Jesus and you don't have to stay that way. But you've got to break denial if you've ever been in a 12-step program. The first step is to acknowledge I need help. And get yourself situated where you can roll off in the water. The water that can heal you, the water that can change you, whether it's a, a 12-step program or whether it's g- grief counseling or whatever it is that you need to, to make some changes so that 2019 is not a replay of 2018 and 2017 and 2016. Don't shout me down. Come on, somebody. One thing, the choices I made yesterday affect the p- person that I am today. How do I become proactive? My second big point, how do I become proactive? What does it mean to be response-able, to exercise my ability to respond? There are some difficulties in a couple of areas that I want you to see. As they put the diagrams up on the screen, this is in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and you see a circle of concern That's where we get our concept of circumstances. Circum is circle. The circumference of something is the distance around it. Stance is the uh, idea of all of these things that I'm wrestling with that are standing around me, the circumstances of my life. The circle of concern has to do with a whole lot of stuff that spread way out farther than your reach or even your ability to change. Now, there are things outside of it that don't concern you. Even in 2019, even in the fact that we've become a global village and what happens across the other side of the world can be known here within the next 20 minutes on cable news or one of the major news networks. Usually, the things that are over there are not a concern for us. If they are, they're so minor, we don't really pay attention to them. So, the circle of concern is all of the things that we are worried about. And this morning, I want you to see that being proactive means I must recognize that in the middle of that circle of concern, I have a circle of influence. I have an area of things that I can manage, that I can speak to, that I can possibly, be careful with this word, control, that I can potentially invest in some time, I can bring a change to. My circle of influence is in the middle of all of these areas in my circle of concern. These are things that I can touch myself. Now, every one of you in this room has a circle of concern, and you have a smaller circle inside all of those concerns that you have the ability to touch called your circle of influence. The difference between a proactive person and a reactive person is the next two diagrams. This is a proactive focus right here. They have positive energy. That because they don't focus on things they can't change, they're focusing on things that they have an immediate responsibility over and they're speaking into, they're making changes, they're making differences in their circle of influence. And because of that, it's a natural kingdom principle, their circle of influence begins to grow. Because they are exuding positive energy to make changes in the areas that they have the ability to make changes in. Everybody say responsibility. The reactive person is the opposite. He is focused only on his area of concern, things that he can't change, things that she can't change. And because all of the attention is given to worry. And God doesn't intend for you to be a warrior, He's called you to be a warrior. Are you hearing me? When all of your energy is put toward things you can't change, your circle of influence shrinks. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know a drama queen? I told you don't raise your hand. This right here is characteristic of folk that always have a swirling cloud of drama around them because they're reacting to everything. A lot of negative energy coming off of them all the time. And they're there because they get attention from it. (laughs) Did y'all hear what I said this morning? They stay in that place because it breeds attention. If they can't get positive attention, they'll just generate some negative attention because attention basically is their love language. Hey, hey, look at me. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't be reactive, be proactive. Take responsibility. There are control issues that we face. There is direct control that basically involves issues that are in my own behavior, things that I do have the ability to change. They're in my purview to be able to make significant changes and in investments. We all have indirect control issues. These are problems regarding other people's behavior You know what? You might be able to influence them. You might be able to make a suggestion and help them in some way to be able to move toward change, but you don't have the ability to control other people's behavior. Somebody in the room needs to be set free with that awareness right now. (laughs) Sister, pray for your husband. Don't try to control him. Brother, pray for your wife. Don't try to control her. Through manipulation or intimidation, that is not from God. Come on, somebody, say amen. No control. There are areas where we absolutely have no control over. I can't change my past. There's brokenness in my past. Victimization that happened in my past. I can't change that. But you know what? Even though I can't start right now and make a new beginning, I can start right now and make a new end. (laughs) Regardless of where you're looking at and what you're thinking about with direct control, indirect control, no control, amazingly, we have always the freedom to choose our response in every one of those. We can choose to be kind. Or we can choose to berate and be cruel and let hatred come out of our actions and out of our mouth. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, hatred is too heavy a weight, I choose love. I, I messed up the quote, but you know the idea and you've heard the quote. We have to be people of the way of love. Somebody say amen. amen. This is where the Alcoholics Anonymous serenity prayer comes in because we're taught to pray Lord, give me the courage to change the things which I can and ought to be changed, the serenity to accept the things which I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. Think about that. There are things you can change, there are things you can't change, and we have to accept those we can't and then let God show us the difference between those two. Because too often we try to change things we don't have the ability to and we leave issues left undone in our lives that we really ought to be. Look at your neighbor and say, sweep around your own door. (laughs) Are you getting anything out of this this morning? I'm wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up quickly. There are three things you can do today right now. Three things. Number one, own, own it. Own your personal responsibility. Repent of reactive living shift your paradigm shift your paradigm get a different perspective start paying attention to the little things and in that begin to change just one habit start a positive one rather than putting all of your focus on trying to break a negative one make your bed like we taught a couple weeks ago that's just the one habit that had a ripple effect into my life after dawn died Number two, take initiative. Begin to get up and take action within your circle of influence. Things that you can change, begin to take little baby steps. Just a little at a time, look at the area and ask the Lord to open your eyes like we prayed last week with Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. Lord, open his eyes so he can see. When you get a paradigm shift, you change your focus, you get a new perspective you put on a new set of glasses and you're able to get fresh perspective on what you're looking at. Then you can take initiative in your circle of influence. Number three, you must move from the haves to the bees. From the haves to the bees. It's not if I only had my house paid off. It's not if I had her for a wife. That's not funny, but it is funny. It's not if I had a better job. Instead... Don't focus on what you don't have or you do have. Say, I will be a better husband. Spiritual tides rising over here in the amen corner. I will be a better listener. I will be a better employee. I will be a more patient and forgiving person. And then commit to being proactive with those ideas. And if you do it, you're going to miss it once in a while, but if you do it, and move gradually in that direction little by little, which again, this is such a kingdom concept. Little by little, you're able to accomplish great feats. Little by little, our personal integrity will grow, and eventually our personal honor will become greater than our moods. Because some folk are just moody. And maturity means you don't skip work or don't go to school just because you're in a bad mood. Maturity means you get up and you say, okay, I'm going to overcome this mood I'm in. I'm going to lay back down on the bed and get up on the other side if I have to do that. How I many you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Why? Because the choices I made yesterday affect the person that I am today. Point number three, and I'm finished. I hope you've got something out of this today. Jesus Christ is our perfect pattern. He is the amazing Example, John 12, 27 through 28, two verses, and I'm finished. He is in a place of prayer. It's just before he's about to be arrested and taken into captivity, to go through mock trials, to be bruised and beaten and spat upon, a crown of thorns placed on his head, false witnesses lying and accusing him of things he didn't do and say. He's going to stand before. Leaders in the religious and in the political arena. It's going to be asked questions, grilled over and over and over again. He knows that's about to happen. He's not there yet, but he's right at the moment and he's very aware of where he's headed. And he prays and he says, Now my soul is troubled. If this morning you're in circumstances that are troubling your soul, recognize that Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived a perfect, sinless life for you, has been in and tasted every temptation that you have, yet every, every struggle that I would face, everyone in the room, and yet he's done it without sin. And in this moment when it would have been so easy to go, God, get me out of this, he said, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? In other words, what is my response going to be? I have a choice from the stimulus to the response. I have a freedom to choose. Jesus is showing this right here. My soul is troubled. I'm messed up. My future is it's not looking too bright. What shall I say? What is my response going to be? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no, but for this purpose, I came to this very hour. And what I want you to recognize this morning is in the middle of the trouble that you're facing, you always have two options because you always have a choice. You can be reactive or you can step back and ask God to do the the words of the song we sang today. God, I'm being pressed, I'm being crushed, and I ask you, Lord, that you would bring some new wine into my life. Bring something wonderful, something beautiful out of this experience. Jesus' soul was troubled, and he didn't say, Father, save me. But the next verse says this, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. There are circumstances that I've faced. I don't, I'm not trying to get emotional. I'm trying to not get emotional. Right after I lost the love of my life, I was saying, God, save me from this. This is This is outrageous. The pain is too great. The questions are unanswerable. Stood in my backyard and shook my fist in the air and basically said, Damn you, Dawn, for doing this to me. And I'm sorry if that offends you. That's just where I was. And I'm just confessing my heart. I was angry. And then I said, God, where were you? Why, you know, why couldn't, why couldn't the gun have jammed? Why couldn't I have gotten up and found her in the middle of her confusion and hurt and what she was trying to do and stopped it? Probably 18 months of the struggle, I had a, an epiphany. I had a paradigm shift. I had an aha moment because not only was I wrestling the grief and the loss and going, God, save me from this. But I realized that stacked onto that was something that is not normal to grieve when you lose someone and that it was the guilt that I was blaming myself for her death and the shame that I felt because I was in McDonald's and some of you heard the story, the old guy sitting over there and they never knew that I heard it, but one guy's whispering, trying to tell the other brothers, I'm standing in line and they're over there several, 30 feet from me and he said, that's the preacher whose wife killed herself and I just was crushed and I just stood there the lady's asking me sir can I help you and my eyes are closed and tears running down my cheek and I'm just going God you're going to have to help me and when I quit saying God save me from this and I saw Jesus pattern Father in the middle of this fire glorify your name in my life I was able to say the guilt is not mine and the Lord didn't put that on my back. It was not my fault. And both of my children have been able to come to the place. You know, dad, we just didn't see it. Why didn't we? I don't know, but I'm not carrying it anymore. The shame, I was able to roll it off because God's grace is bigger than my shame that I felt. And the Lord said, you still have the job to do. And if you will let me, I will empower you. And I started realizing, I started saying, God, dig a well in my heart deeper than it's ever been so that I'll have compassion for people that are going through situations like this. Let me love deeper. Let me understand greater. Let me be merciful more than I have ever been before. Oh God, in the house of mercy, don't let me just lay in my mat and make my excuses and be a victim, but let me shake myself and rise and take up my bed and make up my bed. And walk. I'd like if you would to bow your hearts with me, please, this morning. The guy who wrote Atomic